0: We are here with Margo Black, and we are here with Tim Marcroft. The news that has come out is that the city council just voted on something big. Margo Black, explain.
1: Uh, Sure. So the city council voted um, unanimously on Thursday night after a six-hour marathon hearing to require landlords to pay the relocation expenses for their tenants who they issue no-cause evictions to, or those tenants who are priced out by rent increases 10% or above. So if you get a a notice of rent increase of 10% or above and you say, I I simply cannot absorb this, I can't afford it, you let your landlord know. And that's considered an economic eviction and they have to pay your relocation costs. And that goes into effect immediately and is even retroactive to folks who are in current notice periods with the exception of, uh, um, for landlords who own only one unit, or who are using a no-cause eviction to move back into their home, that they, their primary residence, that they have been absent from for three years or less.
0: By the way, if you have a question, you can text in at 971-220-5979. That's 971-220-5979. We're also joined by Tim Marker, our friend of the show, an activist with uh, Portland Tenants United, among other things. Tim, you were there. Set the scene.
2: So imagine city council chambers. If you haven't seen it, it's like a half circle with a big bench and all five commissioners sit behind it. It's a five-person throne. Yeah, it's a five-person beautiful mahogany throne. And behind which are all five commissioners, including the new two commissioners, uh, Mayor Wheeler and Commissioner Chloe Udaly. And filling the room top to bottom, including in the balcony, were tenants and landlords and other folks who have need to speak on this topic and and when i say filling i mean they had to open an overflow room in the second floor of the portland building just so they could get everyone involved
3: alex are you tracking this debate i was not although i'm picturing it right now real hard so especially that mahogany Mm.
0: (laughs) there i've heard a few (laughs) counter arguments i want to get to some of those counter arguments One kind of argument comes from John DiLorenzo and landlords saying you can't do this because this is effectively and effectually a uh, rent control, that this is the kind of rent regulation that is prohibited by the statewide ban on rent control. And although Chloe Daly and Portland Tenants United and Marshall Runkle might have wanted to get around that with your clever little ploy, you (laughs) have not, and you will be defeated in court. Margo Black, your response.
1: Well, um, I think that's just patently false. I mean, they can still raise the rent as much as they want to. I think that tenants who are in a, um, a position to be able to afford that rent increase, who are in good housing, who may have a decent relationship with their landlord, who are embedded in their community will choose to absorb that rent increase and they won't move. So really, you may think that there is this artificial control at 10%, but the fact of the matter is landlords can continue to raise rent as much as they want. Furthermore, I think when we say, oh, well, they're legally allowed to raise the rent and now you know they will incur some charges for raising it above a certain level, that's not any different than a myriad of things that we're legally allowed to do. We're legally allowed to protest in the streets, but we have to pay for a permit. We're legally allowed to drive if we're licensed, but we have to pay for a driver's license and pay but, for insurance. But a, but a driver's
0: license, a couple hundred bucks, uh, all in. It's less than that, I think. The uh, A permit, usually a couple hundred bucks. Uh, maybe Pioneer Square is more. But what you're talking about is what, four grand?
1: Um, well, between 2900 and 4500 but that is really meant to reflect. That's more than a permit. Fair enough, but it's really meant to reflect the actual costs of moving. I mean, most estimates will put a move, if you're any anything but a childless, single, able-bodied young person, um, a move can easily uh, exceed $4,500. You know, my unplanned move was uh, $5,000 or 6000 Um And so it, it's really, th- these are very real and significant costs that are incurred by the tenant through no choice or fault of their own.
0: Tim, jump in.
2: Yeah, so my argument for why this isn't rent control is that a similar ordinance exists in Seattle, Washington, and the state of Washington has a ban on rent control. Uh, The city of West Hollywood, California, has a rent control ordinance and a relocation assistance ordinance. And the relocation
0: assistance... By rent control ordinance, you mean ordinance against rent control?
2: No, like they allow rent control, but relocation assistance applies to all properties within the city, including the ones that are not allowed to be rent controlled. The entire country of Japan bans rent control, and they have a relocation assistance statute. Like... I believe it is settled. It is a settled legal matter as to whether or not this is rent control, and a lot of people think that it's not rent control.
0: Alex Falcone, play judge and jury. Are You convinced that it's not rent control?
3: I, I, that precedent was very. Uh, that sounded bulletproof. I believe that.
0: All right. So let's assume that it is a different thing. That a that uh, moving assistance. What are we calling it?
1: Relocation. Relocation assistance. Sure, yeah.
0: Relocation assistance. Let's assume, for argument's sake, that relocation assistance is different than rent control. Mm-hmm. That is not yet make the case that it's good so the counter argument that i've heard maybe most pointedly is that the costs of this relocation assistance will merely be included within the cost of rent and so it will not make things better for uh, renters but in fact just increase their costs. the other argument i have heard is if it works this will chill the uh, uh, chill landowners from being landlords uh, and they will, because they won't want to have to pay this fee. Margo Black, your response.
1: I mean, frankly, I think that these are the same scare tactics that we run into when we try to expand tenant protections in any direction, no matter what. They're the same arguments that we heard about inclusionary zoning. I mean, I think that the building it into the rent. So, on the one hand, when our rent goes up, uh, we're told that, you know, it's going up to market value and that's what the market will bear and that landlords have every right to charge that rent. So, if what the market will bear does not now include those relocation expenses, and they are charging the top of the market. You know that is what they can you know rent their unit for that people are willing to pay. Then can they really then build additional costs in? And if not, or if so, then does actually the market bear higher? I mean, those two things to me just don't quite. Let's square. pause there.
0: Alex Falcone is our judge and jury. Does that make sense? Uh, nope. Okay. Here's uh, let, let me let me take it. Let me take a crack. In, in all and,
3: fairness, I I'm sorry I got distracted
0: by something in here. No, that's fair. That's fair, but but it's that, not fair. But it's somebody, really, it
3: was really irresponsible of me, and I don't want to put this on her. That was a hundred percent my fault. But Thank somebody, you, because
1: I'm a teacher. I'd like to think that I'm. I very could clear not play logic. it
3: off. It's just very early <laughs> in the morning. But,
0: but their their argument is very often that the uh, that it, it was essentially the same argument against Measure sixty seven that it will increase everybody's prices at the pump. It'll increase everybody's prices when they rent. It'll increase everybody's prices uh, when they uh, when they buy a bottle, a gallon of milk. And what I heard you say, Margo Black of Portland Tenants United was, no, they charge what the market will bear and then they subtract costs from there. They don't look at costs and then add a couple percent or some number of percent from those costs.
1: Right. If we believe this whole Econ 101 argument about supply and demand, then, then they are by and large already charging the, the most that their tenants will and can pay. So if they're now saying that they'll add a couple hundred dollars to that, then that sort of puts a hole in the the Econ 101 argument. So I, I just find it disingenuous. I think, are you charging what the market will bear or are you charging a couple hundred dollars less? And, and as you point out, Jefferson, what the market will bear is not remotely tied to actual operating costs. I mean, we're right now we are literally seeing letters from landlords that say, hey, uh, we just found out, you know, we're three or $400 under market, so we'll be raising the rent. They don't even pretend that it has to do with property taxes and utilities and cost of operation. They're just like, we just found out we could we be charging a bunch more. And so I think, you know, it... it On the other hand, if they're really going to roll these costs in, and that means that tenants feel some security in their housing, that they're less intimidated by their landlords, that they feel a tiny bit inoculated from a no-cause eviction, that they feel like they have options when they are displaced, then... You know, fine. If if they can build those costs onto rent and the market will continue to absorb it, and that's the cost of those protections, then I think that that is something that we can accept in the same way that we saw, you know, Obamacare taxes uh, added on to. Uh, restaurant bills. And people said, you know, great, I'll pay it. I mean, I do think it's a disingenuous argument, but I, I also think that at the end of the day, those tenants um, are significantly more protected than before. And I think that that's something that we can accept.
3: Alex? Jeffers, you were saying, I'm sure you were just being a uh, devil's, plain devil's advocate, but you were saying that the argument is that people would not jump into being landlords all of a sudden because that's a, of that's this a, cost. That, that,
0: that's another argument. I find it a somewhat specious argument. Well,
3: that's what I was wondering. Are we, like, really looking for a lot of people to jump into being landlords all well, of a sudden? and
1: also, are we looking for people to jump in being landlords who want to reserve the right to use no-cause evictions in price gouge? Right. I mean, it's not like every single landlord has to write their tenant a check for $4,500. You only need to pay these costs if you are using a no-cause eviction. And we assume, in this case, that you're using a no-cause eviction when you couldn't use a for because eviction. So you're really displacing someone through no fault of their own. Or you're raising the rent above 10%. And Here most landlords aren't doing that.
0: Here might be the argument, that, and I think would be a portion of the argument, is that we do want more landlords in the respect that we want more housing stock. We want right. more places for people to live, even if they don't have access to uh, getting a mortgage uh, or you know paying cash for some residents. Uh, and we want more landlords who are landlords to long-term residents, not just Airbnb rentals. Correct. Uh, and we want more people to invest in the building of those things uh, so that there is greater supply in the housing market. And and the, so the argument would go, anything that is done to increase the costs... On those landlords might reduce at the margins. Some people are making some choices, right? Making some choices to whether they're going to do more Airbnb or more people who are members of or friends of or merely advocated on behalf of by uh, Portland Tenants United uh, that they might do it just a little bit less. And if you do a little bit less, lots and lots of times, that can turn out to be meaningfully less.
2: I want to add something here. Um, I, I think that the distinction you're making is correct. There's a distinction between investment in building new housing mm-hmm. and Buying and renting current housing; those are two different investment streams, and we need to think about them differently. Because if
0: you have, but there's two, a lot of overlap. Because I could but, buy, because you could buy a place and decide, well, uh, I can either make this my own or I can like have it be a duplex.
2: But if you invest, like if we have too much investment, if we, for example, if we have too much investment in uh, single-family homes being purchased and then rented out, that drives up the price of those single-family homes because you have a lot of capital. So this is rent-backed securities, right? Like mortgage-backed securities, what caused our housing bubble to grow. What happens is Blackstone Investment Group buys a huge number of single-family homes. They bundle the leases together, and then they sell a bond using those leases as the collateral for the lease. They
0: securitize the the, the, the (coughs) rental stock.
2: And that gives them a big cash influx, which allows them to buy more homes, which allows them to sell more of these securities, which allows them to get a big cash influx, which allows them to buy more homes. All of that purchasing activity drives up up the price of these single-family homes, and it has nothing at all to do with the underlying value of the home, which is determined by median wages in the area. So we have the sale price of homes going up, but the actual value to the investor of the homes not really moving, because that's determined. By median wages, but isn't that's it, a bubble?
0: But isn't it balanced? Isn't it balanced by that same pressure could generate the more also more building on and like the, the, and a three the,
2: year lag? Yeah,
0: that's
2: yeah. what happened in two thousand eight. It was on like a three year lag. I don't know if you went out to Happy Valley in two thousand nine, but I was employed at the New Seasons out there for years. There were hillsides covered with half finished buildings. The lag time between those two things means that the bubble can get really, 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 really
0: big. We got, we got a question, in I think that Alex uh, is going to have for a listener, but couldn't you say the same thing about that lag with this stuff? Aren't we late with the tenant protections, that by the time this, start, this starts uh, yes. catching that, that, well, you know, what happens if there, there's a market downturn, and then all of a sudden increasing a little bit of cost on this stuff is going to feel like a bad idea, even though it might have been a really smart idea four years ago?
1: I don't think that we legislate based on what might could happen in the future when we have a clear and present emergency right now that we need to deal with. I mean, if we... If, if we, uh, you know, one two three five ten 10 years in the future see some massive ma- market downturn and it turns out that, you know, maybe by then we've enacted rent stabilization or something like that and we say, oh, my gosh, this is really um, uh, getting in the way, then we go back and make a legis- legislative change if that's what's good for society. But right now what's good for society is tenant protections. And it's a decade too late at least.
3: So this is a text from our listener uh, on – on our text line, uh, do we know the breakdown for small local landlords of less than five homes to corporate large holding companies, foreign and Wall Street investors?
1: We really don't have good data on that. There are There's some data available through Multifamily Northwest and through Portland Housing Bureau, but I want to say that I really don't see this as a um, small landlord, big landlord problem. Frankly, most of the stories that we get from Portland Tenants United of the most egregious abuses and price gouging are coming from small landlords
0: the The other argument we've heard, and respond to this one and then plug whatever you want, is that the uh, is that this will make it harder to get rid of bad tenants that there are already lots of tenant protections in place. It is hard to get rid of a tenant who is, you know, not burning the place down and not six month in arrears of rent, but is late with rent is doing various things that are disruptive to your place. And you're wanting to get rid of this person. And now you're going to have to spend five, you know, 2,500 to 4,900 to get rid of the Margo Blackie response.
1: I mean, this is like saying it's really hard to put someone in jail without, you know, due process of, of judge and jury. I mean,
0: but that, but that, but they don't, but they don't think they're putting somebody in jail. They think this, a place I own. I'm letting somebody else live here. No, no, no. This is out. a
1: business. This is an investment property. I mean, we're mm-hmm. what we're. First of all, we're not talking about roommates who are living with um, the owners of their home. So in that case, these t- these protections just straight up do not apply. Um, we are talking about someone's um, investment rental property. We're talking about the business that they own and run. Um, and there is due process that allows um, landlords to um, to mediate bad behavior with uh, tenants through the four cause eviction process, and that four cause eviction process is incredibly misunderstood. I mean, one of the the, the biggest um, untruths that is told by the landlords is that it's this long, drawn out, expensive process. And the fact of the matter is, it is the fastest civil legal process in the state of Oregon, short of getting a restraining order. Um, the 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 trade-off for it being so fast relative to other states is that it's very um, it, it relies on procedural accuracy. So you do have to get your paperwork right, which I think that is is really not too much to ask for landlords for them to get their paperwork right and for them to document the the causes but a four-cause eviction um you in most cases um uh, starts out with hey here's what you've done wrong here's what you here's what you need to do to fix it here's how long you have to do to fix it if you don't fix it in that period of time here's how long you have to move out and if you don't do either of those things then we'll see you in court and even then the first appearance is a mediation it neither party needs to have an attorney you go out in the hallway and work out a deal there the, the the whole point is that that deal avoids putting an eviction on this tenant's record Um, and it only goes to trial if the parties can't agree in the hallway and that's it's rather rare um, I mean, it, it's just not true that the four cause eviction process is ineffective. It's only ineffective when the tenant has not done anything to deserve a four cause eviction, and that's where no cause evictions come in real handy. And they are used routinely to discriminate and to retaliate. One woman wrote into City Council and said, "I need to use four cause or no cause eviction to get rid of, you know, the the parents upstairs with noisy kids who are bothering the folks on, um, downstairs." And, and to me, I'm like, oh, really? That's what you use no-cause evictions for? Because that's a blatant violation of the Fair Housing Act. Like, you are literally using them to discriminate against people. I, I, I was given a no-cause eviction because my landlords thought that I had a night visitor and I was a single mom and they thought that was unsavory. That's discrimination. That is not why we should be using no-cause evictions. That is not... That is not the problem tenant who we can't force out through the four cause eviction process. It's it's disingenuous. It's patently false, and we really need to um, bring more people up to speed with what four cause evictions are and how they work, so that landlords can't keep trotting out these awful tenants acting like giving them a 90 day notice is somehow going to be the the best way to get them off the out of these properties.
0: Is there any argument the opposition has that should be listened to?
1: No, I mean, I think the most the most compelling thing is the the you know there really truly are some landlords who are uh, say accidental landlords um and you know we heard we heard from one uh, guy at city council whose um father had died and there was a a home tied up in in the estate, and they owe more in property taxes than they could possibly sell it for and basically to to start to deal with that they're gonna have to give the tenant to no cause eviction and nobody in the family has any money to deal with any of it. And I can, I see the whole, it's hard to write that check. It's also hard to write the tenant's check or the tenant. It's hard for the tenant to write the check. I do think Where, we should we have a, We got a wrap. Where can people find out sure. more? Uh, that's a good question. Portland.
2: So, uh, you can find Portland Tenants United on Facebook. Follow what they do because uh, it's really great. And if you're a tenant,
0: consider joining. Margo Black, Tim Markoff, thanks for joining us.